Job chapter 42, verse 1. And Job answereth Jehovah, and saith, 2. Thou hast known that for all things thou art able, and not withheld from thee is any device. That's an easy answer. The Lord had told Job, Stand up like a man and answer me. And Job's answer is, You know everything. Basically, Job didn't have an answer, so he just said, You know everything. In this translation, they use the word Jehovah for God, and there's nothing wrong with that, but a lot of people go overboard and think that Jehovah is the only name that you can ever use. But Jehovah is a derivation of Yahweh, which is a derivation of YHWH, which are the only letters that God revealed to Moses about his name, but we cannot pronounce YHWH. So Yahweh is just the closest pronunciation we could come to his name, but we aren't pronouncing his name correctly when we say Yahweh. And Jehovah is a derivation of Yahweh, which is a derivation. Because his name is heavenly, it can't be pronounced with an earthly mouth. Saying that Jehovah is the only name of God is actually pretty ridiculous because it's not even the name of God. It's kind of like when the Amish speak in King James English, and they say that that's how God spoke. Well, that isn't how God spoke, because God didn't speak in English at all. It's just kind of funny how people will get hooked on something in history, and they'll think that that's their salvation when it isn't. So we don't have to use the name Jehovah when we're referring to the Lord, but in this translation it uses that name. 3. Who is this hiding counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have declared and understand not, too wonderful for me, and I know not. Job is telling the Lord, You asked me, Who am I who speaks without knowledge? Therefore, you're correct, God, I have spoken about things that I do not understand. Job is saying, I don't know what I'm talking about. 4. Here I pray thee, and I, I do speak. I ask thee, and cause thou me to know. He's quoting what God had said to him, that God told him to speak up like a man, and declare what he knows. 5. By the hearing of the ear I heard thee, and now mine eye hath seen thee. Job says, I heard what you said, and now I have seen you. Which means that through the whirlwind... Job was able to see some sort of image of the Lord, and I don't know what exactly he was looking at, but whatever he was looking at was the Lord. Maybe it was just the whirlwind itself that he said was the Lord. Just as in the Old Testament, the Lord appeared to the people as the rock of Horeb, and he also appeared as a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. Here he is appearing as a whirlwind, and that may be what Job is speaking of, and he says, I've heard your voice, I've seen you, and now I don't have any answer. 6. Therefore do I loathe it, and I have repented on dust and ashes. He's already been on dust and ashes, that's what he's been sitting on for days, maybe weeks, but he says, now I'm going to repent on dust and ashes. I am sorry that I asked you to speak, Lord. I had no right to demand that you answer me, because I don't even understand what I said or what your answer would be. 7. And it cometh to pass, after Jehovah's speaking these words unto Job, that Jehovah saith unto Eliphaz the Temanite, 
now the Lord is going to turn to the three friends who spoke against Job. And he turns to Eliphaz and he says, Burned hath mine anger against thee and against thy two friends, because ye have not spoken concerning me rightly like my servant Job. Here the Lord says that what Job said about me was true, but what you guys said about me was false. We have to go back and remember what Job said. Job said that God causes the righteous to suffer sometimes. So that is a fact, because God himself here is defending that speech, saying, yes, I do cause the righteous to suffer sometimes. He has appointed the righteous to suffer, because it glorifies his name, it spreads the gospel, it spreads his testimony, and it brings other people to Christ when the righteous suffer and remain faithful in their suffering. It also illustrates Christ himself suffering for the church. But his friends said that God would never allow a righteous person to suffer, and now God is condemning them for those words. So anybody who has a false doctrine that God would not allow a Christian to suffer or a righteous person to suffer, they're a liar, and God condemns those words. 8. And now take to you seven bullocks and seven rams, and go ye unto my servant Job. And ye have caused a burnt offering to ascend for you, and Job my servant doth pray for you, for surely his face I accept, so as not to do with you folly, because ye have not spoken concerning me rightly, like my servant Job. He's saying for the second time, what Job said about me was true, but what you guys said about me was false. Now they need to ask God for forgiveness for telling lies about the Lord. Whenever we get into false doctrine, and it's happened to me before, none of us are infallible. All of us can accept false doctrine at a certain time. But once you realize it's false, you need to immediately repent and ask God to forgive you. And I have done this myself because there's been times where I've heard a doctrine and I thought, oh, that sounds good. But then later on, the Holy Spirit points me back to the Bible and says, nope, this isn't in the Bible. And then at that point, I immediately repent and tell the Lord that I'm sorry. And then I just go forward in faith. So if you have had any false doctrine yourself, you also need to repent. But God is saying that he will not forgive Eliphaz, Bildad, or Zophar unless Job mediates on their behalf. So these three men who have committed the sin of lying about the Lord, they have to offer their own sacrifice for their own sin, but the Lord will not accept that sacrifice unless Job prays on their behalf. In the New Testament, it tells us that the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. That should encourage us to live a righteous life, to speak truth, to obey the Lord, to walk in repentance, so that when we pray on somebody else's behalf, God will hear that prayer, because he may not hear it directly from that person if they're in belligerent sin. Sometimes we want to ask mercy for other people. Now, the New Testament also talked about sins unto death and sins that are not unto death. And I believe what it meant was a sin unto death is a sin that we commit knowingly, where we know we're sinning and we're making a choice. And the only way we can be forgiven is if we repent. But there are other sins that we commit in ignorance because we honestly don't know that what we're doing is wrong. And for those sins that are committed in ignorance, I will sometimes pray for people who I know are ignorant, 
And I pray that the Lord will have mercy on them and forgive the sins that they committed in ignorance, because I believe those are the sins that are not unto death as long as the Lord has mercy and forgives. We can intercede for other people, and that's another great reason to pray. And this can stop road rage, because there's been many times when I was mad at other drivers, but I would instantly start praying for them, that the Lord would have mercy on them and keep them safe on the road, and keep me safe too. And my anger just dispelled and was gone. So prayer can really help in forgiving other people. And Job obviously would have had to forgive his friends as well for telling lies about him. 9. And they go, Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuhite, Zophar the Namathite, and do as Jehovah hath spoken unto them, and Jehovah doth accept the face of Job. The three men did go and offer sacrifices and wait upon the Lord and Job for Job to intercede on their behalf and pray that God would hear them and have mercy. They wanted to be forgiven, which is awesome, so they're showing repentance, they're following God's commands. You know, God doesn't hold grudges. Once we repent, we're forgiven. God didn't have a grudge against the other three men. He was very willing to forgive them, but they had to do it his way, not on their own terms. And they wanted forgiveness, so they followed the instructions that the Lord gave, and they repented. No matter how bad you've sinned, don't give up hope, because God does want to forgive you. He won't hold a grudge if you repent. The youngest man, Elihu, is never mentioned in this chapter as needing forgiveness or asking for forgiveness. I believe that's because he didn't need intercession to be forgiven. He could just repent on his own. He was like a brainwashed child who was just parroting what he heard. He still told lies, so he did need to ask for forgiveness, but I think the Bible didn't mention his name because he didn't need intercession from Job. The fact that Job was interceding for his friends is also a foreshadowing of Christ, because Christ intercedes for all of us before the Father's throne in heaven. When we sin and Satan comes to the throne to accuse us, if we've repented, then Jesus will intercede and say, Father, this child of yours repented, and they're covered by my blood. And then the Father forgives us. And that's what Job was doing for his friends. Remember, they had to repent. And we know they repented because they all brought the sacrifice. If they didn't want to repent, they would not have brought the sacrifice. You don't get forgiveness without repentance anywhere in Scripture. 10. And Jehovah hath turned to the captivity of Job in his praying for his friends. And Jehovah doth add to all that Job hath to double. Notice that Job had to be sacrificial. He's still covered in boils. He's still racked in pain. He's still in grief for his own children and all the animals that died that he owned. And he's still being treated really bad by his family and his own servants. And yet he interceded for his friends. And you know, Jesus went to the cross in pain and agony for all of us. He didn't say, oh, later when I feel better. Job was the same way. He didn't tell the Lord, can you heal me first? He obeyed the Lord's commands, and he prayed for his friends even though he was in mind-blowing pain. And then after that, God restored everything to Job, double what he had had before. So he became twice as rich as he was in the beginning of the story. Now you and I are not promised earthly wealth. In the New Testament, we're promised spiritual wealth. 
we may not be ever rich. And that's good because everything Jesus said about wealth in the New Testament was negative. He didn't say anything positive. Now, I know the word of faith people love wealth, but Jesus didn't love wealth. And we'll see that when we read the New Testament. Spiritual wealth. That's what we grow in, and that's what keeps getting heaped upon us. Our personality keeps changing to be more and more like Christ, and that's way more valuable than any amount of money. 11. And come unto him do all his brethren, and all his sisters, and all his former acquaintances, and they eat bread with him in his house, and bemoan him. That means that they sympathize with him and comfort him concerning all the evil that Jehovah had brought upon him. And they gave to him each one kesita and each one ring of gold. All these people who should have been there when he was suffering now show up when he's rich again. But at least they loved him. And they each gave him a gift and a golden ring. Kesita means a gift. They sympathized with him. They ate bread with him and they were in his family again. They're fair-weather friends, yes, but they did love him again in the end. And hopefully they learned something from all of that. 12. And Jehovah hath blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning, and he hath 14,000 of a flock, and 6,000 camels, and a 1,000 pairs of oxen, and a 1,000 she-asses, which are female donkeys. And he had double all the animals that he had in the beginning. It's interesting he doesn't get double the children. He gets the same amount of children. But remember, he never really lost his first children. They died, but they're all in heaven waiting for him. So when he gets to heaven, he has double children, because the ones who died are up there. 13. And he hath seven sons and three daughters. Now, sons inherit your property, so the sons aren't mentioned here by name. Instead, the book focuses on his daughter's 14. And he calleth the name of the one daughter, Jemima, and the name of the second, Kezia, and the name of the third, Karen Hapuch. Jemima means dove, a woman with dove's eyes, so she had beautiful almond-shaped eyes. Kezia means cinnamon perfume, so she had the perfume of Jesus Christ in her, because cinnamon is one of the spices that's used to describe Jesus. And Karen Hapuch means beautiful makeup. It means cosmetics, which is what Esther wore. Karen Hapuch was like a model with beautiful makeup on. Here's another example in the Bible of that it's not a sin to wear cosmetics. But you aren't supposed to wear cosmetics as Jezebel did, which was to have power and dominance over other people and to be the center of attention and to arouse lust. Uh, but you can wear cosmetics simply to glorify the Lord with the beauty that he has created, which is what Karen Hapuch did. She was a woman of cosmetics, and Esther was also a woman of cosmetics. But Esther never drew attention to herself or tried to arouse lust in any man. So that's the difference. It is not a sin to wear cosmetics, but a lot of women use it as a tool of power and to excite lust and lead others into sin, or to excite jealousy in others. So all of that is wickedness and evil. Remember, Jezebel put on her eye paint right before she cursed the prophet, and then she died. All of these daughters of Job were incredibly beautiful. 
15. And there have not been found women fair as the daughters of Job in all the land, and their father doth give to them an inheritance in the midst of their brethren. Normally, daughters don't get an inheritance, but Job gave an inheritance to his three daughters as well as his seven sons. If you're a daughter of Christ, like I am, you have an inheritance just like his sons have. So that's another beautiful illustration of salvation. It's for male and female. 16. And Job liveth after this a hundred and forty years, and seeth his sons and his sons' sons four generations. Job lived until he had great-grandchildren. 17. And Job dieth aged and satisfied with days. And that concludes the book of Job. He lived a beautiful but also terrifying and tragic life. But he was raised again into glory on earth, just as Jesus was raised to glory in heaven for eternity. In the next episode, we will be reading from the book of Psalms.